0: our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Tell everybody, too. Oh. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, young Grognard. I will never get used to this new laptop doing the recording in progress. But anyway, I'm kicking it to you live with the Beckons the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Lords, and the quest, Vengeance. Uh, in the last game, our party led the Dwarvish exodus from the halls with their newly established Lord Norhill Hammerstone leading the charge. After the party had sort of managed their way out of the place, scurrying past all the duergar with a bunch of fiery, feisty, uh, ready-to-go, gumption-ridden dwarves, they made it to the plains, made a fast decision to either go to Dustwind or to head over to Quarrydale. Um the party had seen smoke in the distance to the north over by Eagleheart and are, and made the decision to go to Quarrydale just in case. Since the party was covered in a whole bunch of non-military trained dwarves, they would probably be sitting ducks. Having made their way across the plains quite a bit for a couple days, the party ended up coming across a Goliath and a Dragonborn uh, and had a very interesting little run in with them. Our friend Jarzak had been given an interesting Job and that is to Kill off uh, pretty much everybody In the group uh, As the deceiver Valaketh was Going to well I guess Be found as the real Cause for what happened with the gnomes in the War of the Bleeding Stones so Uh, That didn't happen. And instead, we had a very interesting blowout between Anton and Jarzak where things pretty much got to uh, came to blows where Anton found that Jarzak was plotting to kill the rest of the party. They had a run in in the uh, in the field out beyond the camp and the uh, well, I mean, I guess it wasn't that big a deal that Valaketh pretty much showed himself entirely and came out as an aspect form and tried to assault Anton. Anton powered through with the power of faith and the lantern, which didn't work very well, if I can be honest. The blade that Jarzak had been toting around decided to jump in and help him unconsciously, and the spectral form of some sort of swordsman, well, that's alliteration, uh, showed itself, defended his unconscious corpse. Yeah, I say corpse. You're not dead. Don't worry about it. Unconscious body. Anyway, protected both Anton and Jarzak, and where we're going to pick up again is during something of like a sonic boom in the valley, a few hundred feet away from the campsite itself. Uh, So with that, Klika and Norhill, you guys both uh, being in camp and being sort of settled down into the evening, uh, hear a raucous thundering boom come from the valley down below about 500 or so feet away. People in the camp begin to shout and sort of like scream and whimper feeling very much so without defenses. Klika and Norhill are very quickly able to find one another just by the fact that most people start to cower in groups, but Klika and Norhill, I imagine, would be looking to jump up and see what's going on.
3: Klika immediately scans her memory to see if she accidentally cast booming blade on somebody earlier.
4: So <laughs> it's like, oh, geez.
3: Did I try and cast catnap, but did booming blade? <laughs> did the someone just... over in his yeah, sleep? Yeah, so someone just roll over in their sleep. <laughs> just... <clears throat>
0: Well, there he goes, old man Jenkins. The old pea farmer's back at it again. But, um, okay. So with that, Norhill and Klika, Um, you notice Jarzak and Anton are both gone.
1: Uh, Norhill is going to adjust the crowd. You know, tell everybody to uh, stay calm. We'll go check it out. Uh, do not approach under any circumstances. It might be dangerous. And then go, like, running off to check on what it is.
0: Okay. And both Yid Kaleth and Och decide to follow along at a sheepish pace behind both Klika and Norhill. And so, as you guys meander down the hill and into this little clearing, you guys can see what appears to be a lot of that dark, like black, sandy ashes kind of like sand that's all over the grass and the reeds down here. And you see an unconscious Jarzak and you see Anton. Uh, sort of collapsed unconsciously over Jarzak, who is also unconscious. But in Jarzak's hand is his diamond-edged blade, which seems to be held upright in a certain position by his hip, as if like the blade is propped up almost by like rigor mortis. And both of them lay still um, with the uh, lantern, lantern, Anton's lantern. Yeah, the lantern, Lan- Anton's lantern. Jesus Christ and some astonishing swordsmen. Anyway, the lantern seems to be still lit.
3: Godzilla, our listeners, and cut away from the big fight right as it happened. Wait, what? Did, like, did you just pull the original Godzilla 2016 move of cutting away from the big monster fight right when it happened?
0: Well, for what it's worth, <laughs> it, it lasted for one strike?
3: Alright. Uh, Kalika's gonna run over to both of them and check to see if either one is still
0: breathing.
1: Yeah, same here. Okay.
0: And as you guys do so, calith somehow silently, like a shadow on the night, uh, approaches behind you guys without ever making a sound and with one hand on Norhill's shoulder says, I will secure the premises. And Ock yells, he says, I'm really good at that part. And they both go bouncing off around the valley, looking around in the darkness for any sign of anything going on out here. And as you guys check in on Anton and Jarzak, you can tell that both of them are just unconscious, sleeping, and both look like deathly pale. Klica looks around for any bl-
3: bugs or dark shadows or anything else she's come to expect from Jarzak when stuff like this happens
0: yeah as you sift around in the grass and the reeds you can see that amongst the uh sandy like ashes here once you're like kind of scuffling your little goblin fingers through this stuff and picking it up and running it through your fingers you see like thousands of tiny little like insect bodies in like little pieces sort of dried up little like fossilized husks of them that at this point have come to feel like sand but like taking a closer look you can tell that it's just like hundreds of thousands of dried little ant bodies that have sort of crisped up.
1: i he's going to try to survey the battlefield to see if he can try to put together exactly what happened.
0: Okay, I mean, the most important part that you notice is just that like all the grasses, now that the nightly wind is coming in and kind of addressing a lot of the grass around here, there is sort of like a bubblish shape at the feet of both Anton and Jarzak that makes almost like, like all the grass. It's almost like when you like take grass and you lay like a blanket over it or something like that and the, gla- the tall grass kind of like folds down flat. It looks like some sizable force did like a whole circle shape with like sort of a center point that boomed out and laid all this grass flat around by their feet. And it seems like it booms out like 30 or so feet.
3: Um, Norhill, we should probably get them back to camp at least, and then maybe we can check this out after or get the story from them when they wake up.
1: Uh, yes, right, of course. Um, And Norhill will start, like, dragging at least one of them back to camp.
0: Okay. And with uh, seeing that happening, Yggalath and Auk both join in to come help you out. Uh, Yggalath keeping a firm eye to the horizon with both of her blades at the ready. Sort of making sure nothing's coming up behind him or anything. And so with that, the party enters the camp, you hear tons of dwarves kind of whispering and hushing under their breath, talking about whatever is going on, mentioning a boom, and a particularly old and ragged dwarf kind of chimes in and mentions that he had seen some strange, like, light burst over there, and something happened, one quick lightning flash, and all of a sudden that big boom blew all the winds around, and said that that's, he had seen some sort of demonic presence in the valley, and starts pointing fingers at both Anton and Jarzak's unconscious bodies and saying something about an ill omen following the entirety of the dwarves. Well, um Jarzak... <laughs> I just like how Anthony took a drink right there, and it's like, all right, take a take a swig. I'm gonna have to defend this one. I'm like, all right, here's 10 reasons why Jarzak's definitely not the ill omen. <laughs> Jarzak has um
3: he gets his power from places most people wouldn't look. Are you telling this to the crowd? I I'm not going to like out him, but just sort of <laughs> here just, we go. <laughs> and um, he uses that power to do things that most people wouldn't be able to. Jarzak is one of the reasons that Everyone here is here today. And I mean it you might see that as an ill omen, but he's always done right when it matters.
0: Go ahead and roll a persuasion check at advantage. I'm giving you that because they genuinely want to believe that you're right and that they don't have some demonic sorcerer in their ranks just like hanging out. Well, there you go. So everybody <laughs> sort of takes a moment to think to themselves about the irony of them throwing you guys under the bus after they spent so much time under the watch of the Duergar, understanding the gray area of morality and ethics and having to sort of accept less than pre- uh, enjoyable conditions in order to survive and to prosper. And so over that, they all sort of nod their heads, giving questionable looks to Jarzak and Anton, and people start to kind of sift and go back to sleep. Many of the small tents in in space set up out here in the field seem to be watched more cautiously at this point. And as you bring the uh, two of them into the big military tent, you can tell that Anton's uh, sort of adopted some of the traits of Jarzak in a way, where Jarzak's hair... Wait, he's bald. Never mind. Jarzak's acquired a few extra wrinkles at this point in time, than he had before and looking at Anton he himself looks a bit more haggard as well and seeing them in the light they both just look like they went through some weird time machine out there in the uh, in the field because they both just genuinely look possibly just road worn possibly just weary but they look like they've gotten older and so in uh, about an hour or two if the two of you are just going to stay up and keep an eye on the camp after about an hour or two, Anton and Jarasak. Um,
1: during, during that hour or two, does Northill know um, that any of the dwarves in the company are like trained healers or anything?
0: I mean, there's the uh, dwarfish priest there that you guys seem to knock down a few pegs, saying that instead he was a uh... what was it the last episode? He's the uh, the one dwarf who uh, went to church like every other weekend, isn't that what yeah. the uh, yeah. joke was? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, well anyway, okay, so maybe not him, just because well, Norhill doesn't want to like confirm any of his, you know, bias, uh, you know, biases or theories about it. It might so discontent among the party if people think there's unboard stuff going on. So if there's no one else, yeah, Norhill will just hang out.
0: To I office. mean, I hate to be the one to say it, but as soon as you're in that camp and go into the military tent that dwarf of all dwarves shows up stamping his big boots into that place and pointing a finger at Jarzak on the floor and saying, I knew it. I knew there was an ill omen. I smelled something on the air and I was right.
1: Whatever, whatever happened up on the hill there, Jarzak and Anton were victims. Uh, Some sort of magic, unless I missed my guess. Uh, But I found them, you know, at the epicenter of whatever happened. So if it was Jarzak doing the magic, then I don't know. He's hurt himself as well.
0: Well, if he's a victim in any sense, he probably deserves it. Look at him. Tell me in your heart of hearts that you've seen anything that looks more questionable, more vile. Tell me, Norhill, if you see a rotten apple with a worm sticking out of it. Do you bite it in the hopes that something underneath the skin is sweet and delicious? Sometimes things rot from the inside out. And I think this one's rotten to the core. And with that, he turns and takes a very prideful stomp out of there.
1: Oh, well, he wasn't even going to let me argue. Oh
0: I mean, you can shout something to him. It's a long way out of the tent. Remember, you got the luxury estate model. Yeah,
1: I, you, I know I was going to step up and you know, put a hand on his shoulder and says, Listen, I've seen examples and counterexamples of the things that you're talking about in my travels. For now, think of it this way. Jarzak and Anton are the only two witnesses of what happened. So we can uh, speculate and point fingers and, you will know, come up with, you know, conspiracies and you know witches in the dark. Or we can use the powers of the healer and find out what actually happened.
3: Um, and so that... Klika thinks that maybe trying to put divisions in our group right now is exactly what the Deceiver would want. So you have to understand that if you try and really rally against us or split off from us, you might be doing exactly what the Deceiver wants you to do.
0: And so... His, his eyes open to saucers at this point looking at you and his mouth opens a gape and he says, you speak of the deceiver so easily as if he's just another member of your crew and you think I'm supposed to, to heed your warnings? You speak threats, vague threats. If it is in the best interest of all the dwarves to leave a group that has been tainted by the deceiver Valaketh as he spits to the ground once and steps on it, then I will take the dwarves Perhaps it's not just and right by our old ways, but I think a genocide by the deceiver doesn't seem very lordly and looks to Norhill with a slight disdain.
1: Regardless of anything else, I want you to know that I would never let that happen.
0: You want to roll perception on that? I mean, persuasion on that? Come on, lordly, Mike. What? 19. Okay. And so with that, he looks to you with a certain look, looks you up and down a couple times, does a quick glance sideways over to Klika and says, so be it. Perhaps you mean the best intentions, but one of your party was communing with the Dark One, and I think that that speaks for itself that somebody's doing something wrong. Norhill, I want to believe you. I desperately do. We all do. But remember... Apples. (laughs) Apples. <laughs> and he starts walking backwards and <laughs> turns around and leaves.
3: Coleco remembers apples.
0: Wait, what was that supposed to mean? Just doing what he said. Remembering <laughs> apples. Can you imagine? Like, just final boss battle in the campaign just being like, this one's for the apples. was like, wait, what? Just, <laughs> Anyway,
3: um... Just a hard recall of every time Klika has encountered an apple in her life just thinking on it.
0: You know, that'd be kind of creepy if there was like some weird hidden thing throughout the entire campaign that Dan totally didn't do where every time Klika had encountered a thing it was a tell. It would be weird if Dan did that. (laughs) Especially if there's a bunch of weird omen stuff around your character. Maybe now's the time to start considering things like that. I
3: am thinking on apples right now. Klika is <laughs> an omen incarnate.
0: Yeah. Don't <laughs> forget. So, uh, did you want to do anything else for the next hour or two while they lay unconscious? Maybe draw funny f- pictures on their faces?
1: I mean, you know, just try to make them you know, somewhat comfortable, do what he can for the healing process.
0: Sure, sure. Anyway, the, your, your wife and child and your father all join in on the ranks here and they help out with uh, doing their best to help provide the comforts in here and reminding you to get some sleep because these two, when they come to are probably also going to go to sleep. But just as soon as they try to get you to leave both Anton and Jarzak awaken at like roughly the same time with a quick gasp. Um, And looking at a waking Anton and a waking Jarzak, um, both of you do feel like either you had just run like 10 miles and you're feeling all of your muscles ache terribly. So, or some sort of strange thing has happened to your body, where you just feel like this body has aged to the point that, like Anton's, like what did we say? You had the arthritis in the morning. And everything. Oh no! You have cracking joints as Anton has aged ten years and Jarzak has aged ten years.
4: He's like sixty years old. Yeah. Oh shit.
0: Jarzak just became middle aged. <laughs> like, oh shit. <laughs>
4: Yeah, Anton's like like it's I've
0: matured much in the past 10 years (laughs) Why it was just last night Um, Okay But yeah, both of you guys look 10 years older So Anton's hair probably has a lot more gray to it A lot more silver to it The crow's feet and the uh, wrinkles there And you guys looking at them as they like lean forward and wake up It's clear as day that they both look a bit older
2: God. I I didn't even get to really live through my twenties.
0: <laughs> just goes after the deceiver for taking the twenties from you.
4: <laughs> Anton just he looks shaky and he just kind of looks panicked, looks for his lantern and when he spots it he kind of clutches it like a I don't know, like it was the only thing keeping him here. And he just stares at it and mutters into the <laughs> lantern in like
2: sheer panic. Tightens the grip on his sword. Points to Anton. Let's try to not do that again.
4: Just gives him a look, pauses in mutterings, and then turns back to the lantern. Fixated like a (laughs) moth.
0: Great, Anton's gone (laughs) manners.
4: Kinda. He's in fucking shock.
0: Would you both
1: care to explain what happened? We're on the verge of having panic.
2: I was attacked by Anton. <laughs>
0: right under that bus.
1: <laughs> Is this true, Anton? I know your feelings about Jarzak and his situation. He just but how my silence, I wouldn't have expected it.
4: He just mutters... True darkness. I've only see true darkness as if he's like really struggling to see in the lantern right now and he's really it it seems like clearly he's kind of fixated on just getting a vision of that light back like he's in kind of a little bit of shock. So he can't really properly answer it. He's just like fixated on what he saw yeah, trying to get we, it out of his head.
2: Okay, so Anton's ab- about as messed up as I was the first time. Uh, we may have had a visit from from this this you know being called the Deceiver.
0: And so Kalika has seen sort of the remnants of one of these visitations before as well. So having seen all like the dead bugs and everything on the ground, it's. Absolutely no surprise that this is what happened, you know
2: right um, you know not sure um,
3: jarzak normally, when this sort of thing happens, it's you passed out, and a lot of not living anymore people, yeah, uh. What was different this time? Why are you and Anton still good?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I was—I still passed out as per usual. Uh, it, you know, I—I I told Anton he, he didn't—he shouldn't be trying to attack me, and uh, apparently, I'm protected
0: by darkness. Just victim blaming, Anton. I feel like honestly, Anton, I gave you a
4: warning. <laughs> Anson just looks up from his muttering, and he looks at the sword. And he just says, "And then the swordsman." Yeah,
2: I think it looked like some sword dude showed up to stop the deceiver somehow. I, I think he was protecting Anton.
4: Says so he just looks at the thing again. The swordsman, and he just goes in back in his lantern.
2: You you mean the what swordsman? The that wandering dude that he's always leaving bread for. It, and he,
0: he showed up. I mean Jarsek was unconscious for this.
4: Anton just nods like furiously and then looks back at the sword and he's like, I don't I don't know why I think that sword belonged to him.
0: Jarzak maybe want to add a little something something to that.
2: Uh, you know, I, I, I may have been uh, dealing with voices from the sword for a bit. I think you could be onto something.
4: It's his sword.
2: Noro,
3: have you been getting any voices from your artifacts?
1: No, my weapons have never spoken a word to me.
3: Clinka never
2: hears any voices either.
1: So this is highly unusual.
2: I don't think it's a great thing to be hearing voices all the time, guys.
0: I mean, for what it's worth, North Hill did have visions of the ghostly lord of the hall. And yeah, okay. Never mind. Yeah,
1: but that's you know, just you know normal prophecy right? This, yeah, this is, is irregular. irregular. not dreams no. for telling the future are normal. Hearing <laughs> voices coming from your weapons regularly all the time when you're awake is not normal.
0: Yeah, having discussions with your weapons. All right, Norhill, your, your war pick says knock-knock. now. Knock. Oh, no. like, God and oh fl- shit. And
2: flicker responds, who's there?
1: <laughs> okay, maybe there's something to it. Um, so unless... <laughs> either of you can provide some sort of coherent narrative of what happened. I Um, know what I can do for you.
3: We found both of you passed out in a field after a really loud boom. And there was well there were signs that the deceiver had been there. Clica. Klika knows what his presence on this plane looks like now. And the fact that he's not here any longer, but both of you are alive. What happened with the wandering swordsman?
0: All Anton remembers, since he was the only one consciously awake for it, but I mean, the swordsman leapt in front of the, the, the embodiment of Alaketh and just there was a thunderous boom but Anton, as soon as he heard that, was knocked to the ground unconscious.
2: The only thing I can think is maybe the uh, deceiver is deceiving people of how powerful he is.
0: He's actually like really weak, but he's like, hey, don't fuck around. He's just an illusionist. He's just the guy behind the freaking curtain
2: every time i that happens to me like you said click everything's dead and yeah uh, i guess he was stopped
4: we're protected by the swordsman that's all that needs do,
3: to be known do we have to give bread to jarzak's
2: sword then? I, <laughs> I mean we can try you
1: understand
0: so, that all of this is very difficult to believe. Klico's <laughs> uh, already, like, rubbing bread all over the place. <laughs> it's those mud pies, just, like, throwing them at the hill. Just, uh. But, okay. So with that, um, rest comes, I would imagine, not too easily for pretty much anybody in the party tonight. But eventually people get some sleep and in the next days that follow, the party continue their way into Corydale, hoping to find some sort of place to uh, maybe, uh, I guess, find a place for these dwarves or maybe some hint of what to do next. And so the next place that the party is capable of reaching is following some of these little mini dinky trade roads. Um, uh, you guys come across a few different like little hamlets, little halfling hamlets, where there's just like rolling hills that have about a dozen or so little hobbit cottages, sort of like you know, carved out of the hillsides, and small little hobbit doors are set up. And you guys can see that there's big rolling pastures with halfling yeomen sort of roaming around with goats and you know, llama and stuff like that, and just hanging out and doing their thing. And as they see a giant Pasture of uh, dwarves just coming moseying down the trail and into the uh, little hamlets here. Halflings immediately go into like runaway mode with with shepherds, crooks being like kind of cracked at the ground and hurrying their their uh, their uh, flocks in uh, various directions away from the dwarves and people running into their little cottages and hiding behind doors. Um, And as the people begin to enter. I guess, closer and closer towards what would be described as sort of a center to one of these hamlets here. Uh, you guys can see a group of halflings come riding out on strange mounts, much smaller than ponies. And only when they come riding over the uh, over one of the hills and down sort of into the clearing where the uh, dwarves are kind of moseying in, uh, you guys can tell that they're all riding on what appear to be like mastiffs. And so a bunch of little halfling outriders just come galloping down this way, about 10 of them in total, and all of them have slings swinging overhead as you guys come approaching. And seeing that this whole horde seemed to be sort of dirty, smelly dwarves, uh, they begin to circle around the whole group, completing a full circle, wrapping around, and one of the halflings, who seems to be in the position of authority here, riding on a rather large and very pale mastiff, comes moseying forward and in, in a tiny little squeaky voice, the halfling beckons out and he says, what is your business in the Corydale?" Dale? Now, Dan, I'm going to give you the opportunity to just
3: redo everything you just said, but replace every time you said Hamlet with either Halflet or Hamling, because that would be way better.
0: No, I stand by what I said. There's a single gnome here. So it nullifies your point. <laughs> i just saying no, if, I'm three, if it's
3: a half-let Hamlet, it should be a half-let or a I'll
0: Hamley. tell you what, I'll give you an opportunity to shut the fuck up so we can continue <laughs> with the goddamn procedure. How about that will one? Step
1: forward and say, uh, we have come. we have come to treat uh under the banner of peace, though we have no banner to fly.
0: And with that, he raises a peculiar eyebrow and he turns to a couple of the one, the other like Mastiff riding halflings about 20 or so feet from either side of him. And he says, no banner, for whence do you hail. And then with that, he has a moment of recognition where he kind of being out of the loop as much as he is. You could read this all in his face that he's just like, oh, that's right. And he's like, oh shit, that's right. So he just kind of like does a double take and he says, be of the hall.
1: I, and I am Norhill Hammerstone, Lord of the Halls of Silver and Steel.
0: And so the the halflings all begin to look back and forth at one another, and they say, "And and you you come here for for what?
1: To treat uh, the the halls are lost to enemies, and we seek asylum with our oldest allies.
0: They look like you just pulled out a trout and named it Larry. Like they all just look back and forth at each other, like." You, you want what? And so with that, they all just sort of look back and forth at one another and they say, I guess we'd probably have to speak with the elder, the one who holds the staff. All right. Um, and so with that, he lets out a raucous whistle and with a couple of words in what would appear to be the halfling tongue, um, he manages to pull about five of the striders to follow him and five more to kind of mosey behind the horde. And with that, uh, the dwarves are led down this little country road through the hills, and they stop at various points for you guys to offer food, as explained before, and to you know get drink at various places. But the halflings don't speak much, and when they do, they speak in the halfling tongue, and at any points to ask questions, they say, you'll have to speak with the speaker, the one who holds the staff. He will know what to do. And so, as the party continues well into the evening, the halflings mosey into what could be described probably as the only real sizable halfling settlement any of you have ever heard of, and this thing's nestled in a series of foothills, so it's kind of hidden away, but a small river kind of connects it back to the main road, and you guys wander into the town of Mulborough, and as you make your way into Mulborough, halflings kind of shut doors closed shutters windows and stuff all kind of come to a sling and close as they see the dwarves and company come wandering in this way and so at this point um you guys are guided to a particularly squat little mushroom in the center of the town that seems to have been aged really poorly and it sort of smells really musty and mildewy but overall, it's just a squat little mushroom in the middle of the town, sitting on like a stony bank by the river. And the door to the front of it is round like all the other halfling doors. And the one strider halfling on on Mastiff Mount hops off his mountain. At this point, you can tell that even he is shorter than Klika, being one of maybe the smallest humanoids you guys have ever seen. And at this point, he walks up to the door, knocks a few raps, and the uh halfling sort of waits here with mastiff in tow and at this point nobody answers and so he awkwardly kind of stands up pats off his vest looks back and forth at everybody and kind of clears his throat knocks a few more times and takes another knee and with that there's no response and so he starts clearing his throat even louder banging on the door with a closed fist and he hears something on the other side sort of echoing back like <laughs> something in the halfling tongue, which you think I don't think halflings would have understood it. From all that you've picked up of the halfling tongue over time, even this sounds like gibberish. But with that, the door swings open and you see what could be described as pretty much a beard with some dirty little feet dangling out of it and a couple of beady eyes behind it, a small little like bell pepper shaped nose dangling out the front of his beard and a couple of little tiny teeth left behind in his mouth. And so this little fairy, little gray bearded halfling steps through the door and he may be the oldest looking thing you've ever seen. Surely elves are probably much older on average, but this is just the most aged thing you've ever looked on in your entire life. And he looks off to the strider And then looks off to the group, and his eyes lock onto Klika in the front. And he gives sort of like a weird, like, squinching of his eyes and looks in at you. And then opens his eyes. And he smiles with his two little teeth, one on the bottom and one on the top, sort of making a facsimile of a full-mouthed smile. And he nods his head, and he's like, eh! Klika smiles back and says, hi, I'm Klika. And with that, he sort of leans his head down in a in a bit of a, a bow and his beard drapes on the ground kicking up a bunch of dust and he says Erdo as he puts a hand on his belly and at this point you notice as he puts his hand on his belly that he's basically wearing suspenders and that's about it slacks and suspenders he's got his little halfling pot belly dangling in the summer breeze and so he just nods and he says Erdo a fell thistle Uh, and with that all of the halflings all of the people are all just sitting here with a group of dwarves in the center of Moorborough the smallest yet most bustling halfling settlement you guys have ever heard of or seen and with that he just looks happily back at everybody in the group and just sort of looking at everybody every once in a while kind of gives a little mini wave to a child and he's like "Mm -hmm."
1: Uh, greetings honorable speaker
0: and he just nods and he says
4: Who are you?
1: Norhill Hammerstone, uh, Lord of the Halls of Silver and Steel. Come to treat.
0: He says, you brought treats?
1: To discuss a treaty."
0: Yeah, that's not as appetizing at all. I'm Aldo Felthesum, the Oaken Lord. He puts his thumbs into his, uh, suspender straps and leans back a little bit you hear his back crack a few times and you see a piece of candy fall out of his pocket on the ground and he it quickly goes for it. what is that <laughs> he quickly reaches down know, click, a click erases for it <laughs> and so as he sees you running for it he swings an oaken staff of perfect make slender and straight and he swats it at the ground on top of the candy and scuffs it back towards himself and he says
4: "Ow, oh, no bad
0: and he starts to wave the staff overhead as if he's going to clonky on the head or something like that.
1: Now, please excuse my companion's presumptuousness. I'm sure she didn't mean it.
0: And so with that, he pulls out a handful of little candies out of his pocket. All these little, little honey candies that are all hardened with little smiley faces affixed on them. And he hands over a handful of them over to Cleek and he says, I wouldn't give you the dirty ones.
3: Um... Uh, Clicker Clicker could have cleaned it, but thank you.
0: He says, no, this one's far too dirty. It's all sticky. Look at it. Clicker cast cast mending on it. His eyeballs glimmer in the uh, the light of the torches around you guys. And he says, now that's nifty. How much would I have to pay you to come clean the rest of my house anyway? I've Um... lost many candies under my recliner. I'll show you what a recliner is someday, I'm sure. Clicker <laughs> just tries to rush into the house to start cleaning. It looks like a little old man house. Like There's just the equivalent of halfling TV dinners all lined up on a table. There's like all these little halfling books and a like giant to halfling work. pipe that like arcs to the floor. Pulls and her it is sleeves just... up, puts her hair
3: into a handkerchief, pulls it and, back.
0: And so with that, he turns back to the rest of the group, especially Norhill, and says, so what's that you said? You're here to treat me? Treat me to what? If it's candy. I got plenty. Did you want one too? Please. please. Uh, even no, the, even... I've
1: come to discuss the terms of seeking asylum for my people.
0: And so that, he gives a quick nod and he says, oh, I see. I see. And you say you came from the hall? Indeed. Well, it's nice to know that you're willing to make a trip out here and come see our asylum. The, our asylum is, is probably one of the cleanest in, in, in all of the land, really. But, uh, yeah, well, I don't think there's enough room for all of you to sleep inside, he looks around. He says, I could get the pullout, but I, I don't think there's enough room for many, especially you, and he points at Jarzak, and then he points over at Ock, and he says, yeah, I guess you too. My... They sure do make them big these days. And Ock just kind of chimes in. He says, I think he's said I'm bigger than you.
2: No, I, I doubt that. He was he
0: was saying that I'm big as well. You guys are exactly the, the <laughs> same height. So like a painful degree that you're the same height? I imagine we're both just like getting up close, like go tiptoeing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm
2: taller, <laughs> I'm so taller.
1: That. Uh, I'm sure that um, my companions and I will be quite fine discovering our own lodging. It's the rest of my people
0: that I'm concerned about. And so, with that, he gives a nod and he says, Well, no worries, no worries. I can assist for that. He says, There's a plenty of greens out there, beautiful greens. The bumblebees are so lovely at this time of year. They have so many nice songs to sing. Oh, I, I, how's that old bee song go? And he looks over at the one halfling who knocked at the door and he's like, you, you know the one, you know it. And the halfling looks at everybody panicked as if like asked to <laughs> recite like the Pledge of Allegiance on committee. He's like, uh, uh. and he's like, you know, the I think that's how it goes. Anyway, who cares about the words? Bees don't remember anyway. Anyway, uh, place to sleep,
4: right? So he
0: goes walking out in front of you guys, toting the staff. And as he walks by, the staff could have been carved of of like a a precious stone. It, It shines in the light and it looks so impervious to all scratching wear and tear. And he walks off past you guys, mumbling and buzzing to himself like a bee. And at one point in time, a bee flies out of his beard, swirls around his head and goes back inside of it. And he keeps trying to remember the words to the song and snapping his fingers and tapping his feet. At one point, stopping dead in his tracks, turning around, looking around, and being like, oh no, that's the wrong way. Turns the entire mob of all the hundreds of dwarves and they start walking (laughs) the complete opposite direction until you guys peek through a few little halfling homes here in uh, in the center. There's a big giant rolling green that's covered in all these different flowers and whatnot. And he walks out to the pasture and he says, well, I think this will do wait no won't and so he plants his staff into the ground and you see him close his eyes and he starts to kind of hum a little bit the little bee song and with that all of the wildflowers out here begin to shake and shudder and immediately start to shoot upwards in these long giant dangling strands almost like play-doh when you push really hard through the little spaghetti maker thingy and they all just kind of go limp on each other and he says no get up And he stamps his foot and all of a sudden they all just stand up proper. And all of the petals seem to like grow girthier and and more like firm in their place and start to spread and make like little tents over one another as they kind of lean on one another for support, making a small little teepee sort of lean to's out here. And with that, he gives a couple of nods and he says, now I'm going to say you should probably only stay here for the night because in the morning, if the gigantic bees that I've created come out here, they will not be happy. Mega pollen is a killer. And I warn you, it's not good. But anyway, enjoy your stay, I guess. Have yeah, fun with I'm your treaty.
1: With no bounds. Um, I was hoping we could discuss longer-term solutions as well, but uh, this would well, certainly be great for tonight.
0: Well, I'm too tired. Plus, I gotta go watch my soaps. And I'm like, what the fuck is a soap? <laughs> so how many
3: old you just pieces goes home of to look candy of soap? and the halfling equivalent of two dollar bills and half dollar coins has Klika found so far.
0: Oh, oh, that's right. You're still in his house. Oh, cleaning. Yeah, no, I'm oh, still shit. deep cleaning. <laughs> so he comes back to the house and he walks in, he sees you, and he's like, ah, what are you doing here? And he stops and he says, Oh, wait a minute. No, I know you. Yes, you're the one. Yeah, Klika,
3: Klika cleaned up a bit. Um, and she only ate half of the candy she found, and she dumps, like, a a tenth of the candy she found on
0: a table somewhere. And he's like, that's disgusting. You should take those with you. You can clean them. I'm not going to. Well, they're they're cleaned already. And so with that, he, he pinches you on the cheek and he says, you should get back out there with your friends. You're a good sport and a good spirit. I see a lot of your mother in you. Now, please, get going. Um,
3: um, Cl- you know Klika's mom?
0: I don't know, maybe, but you look just like her. Well,
3: what was her name?
0: Sounded kinda like a oolie deely thing there, you know how them fanciful folk are. You know, the big ones, the mean ones. You remind me a lot of her.
3: And she liked to eat floor candy too.
0: Yeah. Kinda. She never shut up. Usually but... I just gave her the chewy candy so she'd have to, but you know, I mean, for what it's wait, worth, you
3: have chewy candy?
0: I mean, kind of. I usually just leave them in my pocket. And he starts scrunching around in his pocket deep down. He pulls one out that's like a malformed smiley face wax candy and it looks like a little frowny face. And he's like, Yeah, this one looks prime. So anyway, get on with you
3: now. Um, if Kleika comes back tomorrow, will you tell her more about this person who may or may not be Kleeka's mom? Who? Cool. Okay, good. And then Cleeka leaves,
0: and so his little face is in the window, and he's like, "Goodbye now." Cleeka <laughs> so casts mending on the scuffs on the window as she goes. And as you do that, you look inside and see a strange illumination come from the wall, and you just hear the equivalent of like an audience laugh track playing in there. And he's just like, <laughs> "He's just like <laughs> you, idiot.
1: Why would you guess Q?" <laughs>
0: Anyway, uh, that's where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in, and if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... us.